0: Well, good afternoon to everybody. Welcome to the Antioch Room. My name is Marcos Ortega. I am a teaching elder at Goodwill Church in upstate New York. And uh, it really is a joy to be with each and every one of you today. Um, If you don't know where you wandered into, this is the Antioch Room and I want to explain a little bit about who we are, what we're trying to foster here within the EPC. Uh, The Antioch Room is a fellowship group for people of color within the EPC. So our goal is to help people of color within the EPC to build relationships with one another where we can encourage each other, strengthen each other, pour into one another, and spur one another on to faithful kingdom living and kingdom leadership. When we meet together here at General Assembly, it's open to all, and so thank you all for being here and listening in on this conversation. Uh, What we're going to do is have a panel discussion that is trying to ask the question, how do we, as leaders, spark disciple-making movements in our communities? Um, I intentionally stole the language of disciple-making movements from um, those of you who are in the World Outreach Committee or who know about World Outreach. So disciple-making movements are, uh, it's a generational development of churches where we are seeing people who become disciples who are then equipped to turn around and make other disciples. So it's... It's evangelism on steroids, if you will, all right? So the idea is not so much that we just evangelize and share the gospel, but it is coming alongside somebody and raising them up as a disciple, according to the Great Commission, but then immediately, right at the start, saying you are a disciple who makes other disciples. And so you're empowering them to share the faith right away. And part of the heart behind this session is a belief that these kinds of disciple-making movements are the next wave of evangelism in the United States. They're most effective among those who don't know the gospel at all, who've never heard. And that's the next generation, right? If you were just in with Ed Stetzer, you know that there's this rising group of nuns, people who have no exposure to Christianity whatsoever. So how do we effectively reach them with the gospel? It's through disciple-making movements. We can learn from our brothers and sisters in World Outreach and apply that knowledge to our current context. This is especially taking place in cities, which are um, many cities, largely majority minority cities. What we mean by that is that the majority of the people who live in the zip codes are people of color with a variety of different backgrounds, a variety of different experiences. And our cities in certain parts of the country, the Northeast, the Northwest, um, they are rapidly becoming more post-Christian than the surrounding counties. Right? And if, you've, if you minister in a city, you know this, that you are kind of out ahead of all the surrounding cultures ahead of you when it comes to developing a post-Christian identity as a city. And so we want to learn from church planters who are serving in cities and who are predominantly serving among communities of color because if you're serving in an urban area, you're predominantly serving among people of color. So we have uh, some church planters with us that I'm going to introduce in a second. But before I do, I wanna turn us to the scriptures. Acts chapter 13, and this is the passage that really is the foundation of what we're trying to do here in the Antioch room. Acts chapter 13, verses one through three. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Really quickly, Luke doesn't think that the ethnic background of these saints is irrelevant. He purposefully takes up room in the book of Acts to identify where they come from. Niger is a part of Africa. Cyrene is um, an island between Africa and Europe. Menaean has spent his whole life with Herod the Tetrarch. So he's kind of an elite, been in with the big guns. And then you've got Barnabas, who we know is also from an island, and you've got Saul, who grew up as a Pharisee, right? So you have these guys from various backgrounds, various ethnicities, that's what we would call them today, various parts of the world, and they're all together in the same space, and here's what they're doing while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. This is the church. They've gathered from various backgrounds, various ethnicities, various experiences, even on the socioeconomic ladder, and they're gathered in one place for worship. This is the dream of not only the Antioch Room, but also the EPC, that we would be a denomination made up of the nations, not just around the world, but the nations who are all here in the United States. And that's what we're seeing a lot in city centers as well, isn't it? Many people coming from all over the world who don't necessarily have the access to the gospel that they would, um, they they don't have that access in their country of origin, but they come to the United States, and here we are able to reach them with the gospel for the first time. We are a multi-ethnic, the goal is to be a multi-ethnic, multicultural denomination who sees Revelation 7-9 not just as a description of what will be in the end, but a goal to press towards as the church of Jesus Christ. They're worshiping, they're fasting. That demonstrates that this isn't just they go to church, but they're living life with one another. They're fasting, and and here's what happens. The Holy Spirit said, in the midst of this congregation, this multi-ethnic congregation, who are living together and worshiping together, the Holy Spirit speaks and says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them and they fast and pray some more, and then they lay hands on Barnabas and Saul, and they send them off. And if you continue the book of Acts, we all know what we see, but the birth of the church throughout the nations. The spark for this disciple-making movement that takes place in the first century is a multi-ethnic church who is willing to gather together in the worship of God. We believe here in the Antioch Room that that same spark can be lit in the United States through a multi-ethnic church. And that's why we're trying to create this fellowship network for people of color so that they have people to talk to, relationships to build with one another, and then we gather together with the rest of our EPC family to share our experiences, to share where we're coming from, to share our understanding of the scriptures and the ways that we are able to reach people for the gospel in disciple-making movements. And so, that's all you're gonna hear from me. I'm going to introduce our panel. I'm gonna pray for them. And they're gonna be talking about the different ways that they are serving in three different cities in the United States, uh, doing church planting work, trying to build disciple making movements where they are. And so I want to introduce uh, Joy Williams. She is a ruling elder at uh, Hope Church in Richmond, Virginia. She's gonna be the moderator of our panel. So welcome Joy. Evans is the pastor of 5.7 Community Church here in Detroit. They're five years old now. He's not five years old. That was confusion earlier. His church is five years old. So, Brian, would you come up? Um, Welcome. Terrell Huntley is the pastor of U City Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. They just started services in January. So, Terrell, welcome, brother. Thank you. So we got five years, we got a few months, and now I want to introduce Joe Kim, he's right over here. He is the pastor. What's the name of your church again? Hope Philly. Hope Philly. Philly. And they start services in August, so they're not even open yet, really, so welcome Joe to the panel. So we have church planters in three different stages of the church planting life and uh, Joy, who is going to be interviewing them, we've been talking with them, we have some questions. We hope this is encouraging to you. She's gonna lead the panel for about 40, 45 minutes, and then we're gonna open up the floor for you all to ask questions. Uh, And then I'll be back up at the end to ask you to do something. There's a registration that I wanna ask you to take part in, and then I need Flores from um, Florida and the Caribbean. She is going to close us in prayer. So that's how this is all gonna roll. Let me pray for the panel. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be together today. We thank you for the joy that is General Assembly, for the many things that we've already gotten to experience together. And we pray that this lunch would be encouraging to us, that we would hear ideas, that we would learn, and that we would be able to take the things that we hear from these brothers and sisters, and that we'd be able to apply them into our own contexts. Lord, you've called us to make disciples. We are about the Great Commission, we've heard that over and over again. Our denomination is about the Great Commission, and the Great Commission is a a commission to make disciples, who then turn around and make disciples. Lord, we pray for that kind of fire to catch um, through the ministry of our churches. So Lord, bless this conversation, we thank you for this time, we thank you for the panelists, we pray these things in Jesus' name, Amen.
1: amen.
2: Thank you.
3: Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you all for being here. Uh, so, we have about 40 to 45 minutes to hear from these three uh, church planners, and I want to moderate uh, through several questions. Uh, so, we're going to jump right into it, okay? You all, the first question uh, is describe the importance of relationships in creating disciple making movements. to so describe the importance of relationships in uh, disciple-making movements. And I know Brian is holding the mic, but anyone who wants to start can. We all with just pass that mic. Okay.
1: Yeah, how important is relationships in discipleship-making? Um, it's very important. It's essential. Um, as a matter of fact, it's the most important aspect, I would say, of the discipleship-making in my community. Um, my church plant, um, we're kind of like the old-fashioned parish model of um, church. Um, my church is in the middle of a neighborhood in a residential area. And um, in my community, um, there's a lot of distrust with the traditional church. And so, whereas at one point it may have been a, a reality that black people were very religious church-going people every Sunday morning, that's not so much anymore, especially in, in the low income area where I am. And so there's a lot of distrust because there's been a lot of uh, abuse by the church in, in my community. But uh, I've been able to build credibility with the uh, community through relationship. And uh, the way I build relationships with the people in the community is showing them, first of all, that we are a loving, serving church. You know, I'm not the typical pastor, well, I don't want to say typical, but I'm not that pastor in the big Cadillac with the, with the expensive suit on and, you know, I'm out there um, looking for opportunities to serve. I'm out there in the neighborhood um, helping people with some of their social, social needs. You know, in a, in a community like mine, uh, in a low-income area on the east side of Detroit where my church is, uh, it's not enough to just preach at people on Sunday morning. You have to show them that you care. And so we, um, you know, there are single mothers and, and elderly people in our neighborhood, we help them do minor repairs on their home, cut people's grass, uh, shovel people's snow. Um, uh, we do work in the local elementary school, um, mentoring and things of that nature. and. Doing those things, we build trust and credibility with the community. They they see us as a living church, and that opens up the door and provides opportunity for them to want to hear what we have to say. So I would say relationship building is is key and, and foundational to what we That's
4: good, Brian. Um, so we are located in Charlotte. Uh, Charlotte is very post-COVID. Christian church uh, city, but also have like one of the most mega churches, uh, the most amount of mega churches uh, around. So I mean, you hear the big names, and Elevation has taken over Charlotte, and then once that started, it just started a roller coaster of more mega churches. And so it's it, it's very it's very intriguing that that we have so many mega churches, but it's very post-Christian, which says something. Right, it, 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 that just says that there are just a bunch of uh, like hype and and hangouts and programs, but no discipleship making. Um, and so, for for uh, for us, uh, relationships are very important. Um, and and I actually struggle <coughs> with this now because uh, a lot of people come from these mega churches. Um, and they and they uh, don't expect me to just have a relationship with them, and that change uh, it changes their the game instantaneously. On the on the other side of that, there are a lot of people in Charlotte who do have direct access because they don't have direct access to any of their pastors, right? Um, and so uh, and so for. For us having relationship is uh, a win-win uh, for us. That is how we are developing disciples by that like one-on-one touch. So,
5: everything they said. <laughs> so so. It, you know, when I, th- I went to Westminster, so I, I think theologically, and so if you ask uh, any Jewish, like Judaism, adherent to Judaism, they would have said the Shema is like the central organizing principle of the Old Testament, right? Hear ye, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Oneness, then, is the name of the name, right? And it's not just oneness, right? The oneness in God, it's covenantally committed oneness. Right, right. So so what happens is I absolutely agree, and I'm, when I'm listening to them, I'm sure they'll agree here, the kind of relationship we're building is not a consumer relationship. It's, it's not even just friendly relationship. It's a relationship where I'm committed to you and you're committed to me, and you can't get there without what they were talking about, right? And so that's the trick, because if you don't form those kind of relationships, you will always have a business front not a church, right? And so this is I, I totally agree, relationships really do form the basis of what we're trying to do because we're trying to have the kind of unity that Jesus has with his father. Right? So may we have that kind of unity. And the unity that we're talking about is in one more time, covenantally committed relationships, because a quarter three is not easily broken.
4: Listen, Jonah starts what you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why, why? Um, so one of our cultural values, our first church culture values is vulnerability saves. That like like that is legit one of our like who are we? Well, we are a church that believes that vulnerability saves. And the reason why we believe that is well one if you have not noticed, like I do have a speech agreement so I stutter, so I become vulnerable with each person that I meet immediately. Amen. Right? And so what that does. Is is that it breaks down a barrier quickly? Where they're like? And then I start sharing everything about me as a pastor, and they're like, "I cannot believe you're telling me this." And I'm like, oh, no, no, it's cool, you know. And 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 so and so what happened is is what we asked for is that that is specific, area. that you are vulnerable with me, and so that's the relationship. That we're we're not just talking about friends contacting. Me. We're like, hey, we're vulnerable with each other. We are. I'm saying my thing. I, I'm confessing as a pastor. They are confessing. They are. Um, and so, um, and so that is. Uh, so I just I just say all that to say that I agree with you. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay.
3: That was beautiful. Um, and so much of what you all have shared uh, just reminds me of um, the church I grew up in, right? And I know uh, earlier this morning, uh, Ed was talking about uh, the 60s, and my parents are boomers and they grew up in the 60s, but um, for communities of color, that, that was also a time of segregation. And so they do talk about those strong community ties and those strong relationships and being a part of each other's lives. Um, and so it just sounds like we are just, you know, re-energizing those types of, of, of commitments and relationships uh, in those communities. And so the next question, I know you all are in different stages of um, of your churches, uh, but the next question is, how do you leverage Sunday morning worship, so the space, the order of worship, etc., cetera, um, to help make disciples? Yeah,
1: that's a good question. Um... Sunday service is a big part of what we do. Uh, it's not the only thing because discipleship making is more than just what goes on on Sunday. But it's a, but for us, it's an important part of what goes on. I firmly believe that the center of discipleship making is the Word of God. And um, a lot of times when we talk about discipleship making or discipling, a lot of time the focus is on getting together in small groups or getting together in coffee shops or getting their book together. And I think that's that's a part of it. I think there needs to be that aspect of it. You know, and Acts talks about how they were daily in the temple and in each other's homes from day to day. So that's a part of it. But uh, the preaching of the word of God, I think is the primary way in which we disciple people. Um, and so there's a power in the preaching of the word. So we, um, we, we have a high view of worship we have a high view of the pro- the preached word the means of grace and so we um and so that's important that's an important part of the life of our church but then also we do things like we have a fellowship area and after church we have donuts and coffee after church every every sunday and we encourage people don't just come and and consume the word and consume the means of grace and then go off and go off about your day but this is your family, the church as as Joe was talking about, that that unity in the relationships is born out of our oneness in Christ. And so we are a family, and so we shouldn't just be quick to disperse and go home after the service is over, but let's spend some time together as brothers and sisters. Let's love on each other, let's get to know each other. And so we're always trying to create opportunities for us to express that family oneness.
4: I agree with you. Um, so we, as well, hold, hold uh, the word of God very high, right? And, uh, and and I think oftentimes we don't know the impact of of, of a sermon. Um, and so so we do. Um, the the sermon goes beyond us, and and I, and I just love to think of it as like I I or anybody else who's standing up there. Uh, uh, speaking the word of God, like heaven is also watching. Right? This is is this like beautiful, beautiful picture. And so, so we hold it to a very high uh, of regards. Uh, so we say on Sundays, hey, hey, this is uh, because of the culture we say right now, and this will change. Uh, but we are a safe space for those who have given up on church but not on God right and so we say that every Sunday so we start out with a safe space the reason why we say safe space is because we are addressing the need in Charlotte is that uh, because of church hurt no one feels safe uh, because of uh, family or or because of the lack of Jesus in their life they don't feel safe and so and so we're just uh, addressing that so our Sunday mornings um Look, a little difference, so we, if, if we would, if I would throw it out there, or we would, I mean, so we are set up right down churches, so that's a big part of our uh, community. But, so we do like worship, right? But then we have a community moment, and that's not announcements. That is actually a game. We do, and, and it's about a room this size, right? And we say, hey, so, so right now we're going to... Take a moment and, and, and do Would You Rather, right? And so we would like intertwine that with our like announcements and welcome. Hey, hey, thank you for coming. We love to have you here. And this is who we are. And we're just gonna take a minute and play, like, Oh, Would You Rather. And so we would do that for like two or three minutes and we would make people talk to each other. And then there's the message after that and then there's a sermon. So after we do the sermon, we call it a share challenge. So I I do a sermon thirty minutes, maybe hour. And and, (laughs) and, 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 and then I say, Hey, so here's our share challenge. So if I talk about if if I talk about how grace covers uh, your mistakes, so we so I ask, here's a share challenge that let's do this right now. Turn to the person beside you that you do not know and tell them about a mistake that you feel like you don't have grace for. And we and we have the music going and we do it for five minutes, right? And 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 you would assume like, man, it's like, yeah, I'm not I'm not doing this, man. But the amount of tears every Sunday, every Sunday, it's like, well, this does not get old. Uh, That that they get. But that's a part of discipleship, right? It's not taught; it's what called, and right, and so, and so that's part of discipleship, and so doing it in large group areas and small and intimate is 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 it is what what is uh, most helpful. So something that you would do with three people, you should attempt at some point just to do it in large groups well so they get a picture of that so that's where we are right now i cannot tell you five years in where we will be with that but that is that is us really experimenting with the culture right
3: now so before you pass the mic before you pass the mic can you uh just share a little bit two things about your wife's background yes and then um how you all set up the chairs Sure. On Sunday morning. Yes. So quick, just to
2: help them understand what you just said. For sure. So my wife is a mental health counselor,
4: and she has her own um, business or her like own service, and and so and so a lot of that is infused into our uh, our church, and so um, that that is uh, why we are able just to to talk about vulnerability and and things like that uh, because that's both of our Hearts, and so, um, and so that's what and she does, and it really does help the church, and it really does help the church in our context and uh, Charlotte, and so it's really helpful. And so we, we set up the chairs. We are very intentional. We set up uh, the chairs where everybody can see each other, and, and not rows, right? But it's kind of like rows, but it's a big U. Right? and so this person over here they can constantly see this person this person over here they can constantly see you know this person and that helps um and then we are like in the center of it uh, and right now we don't personally don't uh we attempt not just to do stages and higher platforms mm-hmm. and, and yeah. things like that but that that will probably change but uh, right now as we can we don't want to um, but so the reason why we do the you is is so that um and a lot of people's mind it, it it contradicts where they what they think church is and where they came
1: from
4: and so it's a it's a it's just how we serve we serve people that was
3: fantastic
5: seriously it's like wow that was awesome um I've been thinking about this concept of safe space for a while. We call it covenantal space, but it's essentially, it's whatever the lingo is, it's essentially the same idea, right? Um, uh, let, let's, let's do because he's said it so well. So, so let me move on. This is, in our mind, in my mind, discipleship, here's my basic definition, right? definition right? concept is that the kingdom of God is here already, but not yet. Right, And so in many ways, we're like immigrants if you think about it, from moving from one world to another. So what discipleship actually is, is an acclimation to a new culture, a new world that has its own culture, that has its own way of doing things, a way of thinking about seeing the rest of the world around us, a way of interacting with one another. And and what happens is when anyone who's an immigrant, you understand how hard it is, especially if you don't speak the language, Right? You don't understand the customs. You don't understand how the world works. Right, And you are significantly behind and you're gonna cause unnecessary offense and sometimes unnecessary trouble Right, for yourself and for everyone else. Right, And what discipleship is, is guided direction to become not just enculturated, but to truly become uh, citizens that are home is this kingdom of God. And, we're, and once you have that, uh, you can now show this to the rest of the world that is desperately looking for a safe home, right? Okay, so in that sense to us, church on Sunday, I love this, right? We separate these two things, like the concept of discipleship in, let's say, a small group versus discipleship from the pulpit. Both are legitimately discipleship, according to that definition, right? But from the pulpit, We're we're teaching from the Reformed tradition, we're teaching this is what the Bible says, this is the world the Bible is pointing to, this is this Jesus that is the center of everything that we are and what we do, right? But then what happens is discipleship amongst the people is, can you teach people in in Christianity in ways that don't require a seminary degree and are reproducible? Because if the only one who knows how to disciple is the pastor, you are in deep trouble. And no is gonna happen amongst the people. So which means it has to be the pastor that says maybe the overall, this is what the Bible says, and the kind of direction. But the people need to be able to be the ones who can do the discipleship. So for us, we break it down to maybe four or five core things. Do you know how to pray in good times or in bad? Do you know how to share the gospel? right and use it when you're in trouble your heart is is in disarray can you use it to find that peace that transcends understanding um do you know how to show hospitality this safe hospitality um especially to people that maybe you don't get along with you don't like right you see that so basic simple things again that you don't need a seminary degree to teach or to learn and it's reproducible because it's not like this crazy like you know, uh, it's only radical in the sense that we don't see this a lot in the real world, too, right? <laughs> so that's what we mean by discipleship, and that would be the basic difference between discipleship from the pulpit and discipleship in our basic groups. Joe,
3: Joe, do Oh my goodness. Okay, so um, you all touched on several things. Uh, but the next question is small groups, right? So you all talked about some small groups, uh, but small groups have often been described as a silver bullet uh, for making disciples. Have you found this to be true in your context? No. <laughs> <laughs> this
6: is. Can I ask her, um, what do you mean by silver bullet? Like, kills like, disciples? You know, no. Or
3: a silver bullet meaning that it's the answer it's the solution it's the, the norm of the way to do it
1: yeah. no actually I, it has not been the silver bullet for our uh context
3: i'm
1: a firm believer that Discipleship is not so much about having the right model. It's about instilling the right principles. It's about instilling truth through relationships. And not every model works the same. And so we actually tried small groups first uh, when we first started off. And again, I come from a traditional black, uh, and I'm in a traditional black community. And it just it just didn't fit our community, and so we went back to the midweek Wednesday night Bible study prayer Bible study model, and that that works for us. But again, I, I do think that at the end of the day, it's not models that's going to produce disciples. It's it's people understanding the truth, having their minds renewed in the truth, and really understanding what Joe was talking about, being citizens of the kingdom. What I find is that a lot of a lot of our folks. Um, they think that being a Christian is just going to church on Sunday to have that Sunday morning experience, and they haven't learned to incorporate following Christ into their everyday life. You know, and so the, the real challenge is getting people to see that you are citizens of a kingdom. You are you you have received Christ in order to belong to the kingdom of God and you don't you're not of this world, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. And so there's a need to have this process of having your mind renewed and transformed by the word of God. And how, how we achieve that in our uh, congregation as opposed to Joe's or as opposed to Jarell's or anybody else's, I think you have to find what works best for your community or your group. The model is not effective, the, the word, the, the power is in the gospel, but you have to apply that in a way that makes sense to the people where you live.
4: That's good, man, and I'm glad you said it first. So. Um, <laughs> no, so so we are actually so we are twenty, like I said, three is somewhat weeks old, and so we are actually experimenting with with like what is best for us. And so we do have a Wednesday night, so we call it family gatherings, right? And that is and that is a Wednesday night, and we, and we meet and and we have uh have like a hangout. And Bible study, right? Um, and so we we're just, and so we started seeing as uh, we're doing it. Oh, the like younger, the younger adults are coming to this. So okay, all right. So, and so we're like, all right. So so we we are really serious about uh, discipleship. And so we actually, our first thing that uh, we did was a discipleship cohort, right? And it's not a a, a it's not like a professor talking, and it is like me leading, and we are going through scripture, and we are sharing with each other what we're seeing, Like, and it's an intense and it's pretty intense, like we tell them it's intense and we hold each other accountable for like certain aspects there's homework, and there's and there is uh, but more than than all of that, there's this freedom to fail Uh, that's one of our cultural um, values it's called freedom uh, to fail and it's about being faithful with with the one next step versus being obsessed with the success of it and so in the cohort is like so we read about something outside so what does the Bible say do okay this week do that okay yeah it's scary <laughs> And and you will fail, like you will absolutely fail at it, and you will fall flat on your face. But that's freedom too. So you go and fail, you come back and say, "How was that experience? Yeah, man, that was humiliating." All right, well, well, look at it this way. Do it again, right? <laughs> and, that's, and that's what it so we do is so we have a family gathering, a uh, discipleship cohort, and then we are very. Um, and so the, the discipleship cohort turns into like one-on-one discipleship. So we raise them up, and then they are who do one-on-one because we believe. I've seen it in churches attempt just to be efficient with discipleship, and that is an oxymoron to me. Like, hey, let's be efficient. Let's have everybody who is completely different start at the same starting line and then just kick them forward, <laughs> right? And so, and that is not, and and, and I have a five-year-old. If somebody did that with my son, his name is Roman, and he needed help in reading, but it's like, no, he just need to be with everyone else. No, he needs to specialize in reading. And so in Charlotte, we have people who, who, who are struggling or not, or, or fully have said, like, have, have fully like, hey, I'm gay. Or some, hey, I'm struggling with homosexuality. Oh, or, or, or like, I was uh, molested. Or, and, so, and, so, and so these people are starting, but you can't start every, or there's a person who's like, hey, yeah, I'm just, and I just came from this church, right? And so I'm knowledgeable about the word. I was raised in it. But you cannot start everyone at the same space, in the same space. Uh, at the same place and say everybody move forward, right? Because everybody has a start, different starting line, and so, uh, for us right now, we're just experimenting with different starting lines and see and just seeing what happens. So, so I, um, think that the small group model is efficient for a lot of churches, and uh, so I don't uh, I disagree with it, but I know for us. We want to see what's most efficient, or or what's most beneficial for us. That's all I got. Okay. No, so
5: uh, I want to be careful because Brian was on my assessment team, and so, if I say something wrong, I don't want him to take my positive assessment away. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm joking. He's absolutely like absolutely right about the idea that. Small groups shouldn't be the silver bullet for anything. It's a tool. If it's helpful, use it. If it's not, like, do something different, right? So I grew up in the Korean church, and the Korean church makes uh, use of small groups almost like every church does it, right? So we've been doing this for decades now. And even then, as as effective as it was for us, it's not a a thing that's gonna be effective for everybody. We know how to minister to a particular group of people that we're successful at getting over and over and over again, right? But there are people who are not going to be ministered in that model, right? See that? So we need all different kinds going on here. So uh, the gospel is the thing that is the center, right? So the gospel of Jesus Christ, who we are in Christ, uh, the the healing power uh, of, of the gospel. Okay, so for us then, going back to the tool, right? So as much as I just trash small groups, it's actually very helpful, right? If, so the trick would be learning how to use not just small group, but numbered spaces. Here's what I mean by that. The dynamics of a three person group is different from a seven, is different from a 20 person group. And you have to know how to use these different numbers effectively, know what they can do and what you can't do. So when you're in a discipleship relationship, that is much easier to do in a group of three than it is in a group of 50, right? You see that? It's, it can be done. Like right? so we just said, discipleship is a big thing. You just have to do it differently. If you try to preach to a group of three, you see, you're, you're just asking for trouble. You're just lecturing people at that point. But at 50 people, you kind of have to do it that way, right? So the trick would be... What are the different dynamics uh, that, that we should use and how, how do they, they apply there? So this is how we do it. We use a model called table groups. All they are our micro churches, right? And so all that simply means is take into account to what Drell was saying that Sunday is scary for people. It's not safe for people to be there, especially since there's a huge erosion of trust in the church today by non-Christian, or even Christians, right? So that that 20% that sit in the back that Ed Stetzer was talking about, they don't trust us anymore. So the trick would be we have to reestablish that trust. Our way of doing it is by establishing micro-churches that are simply community groups that are funded, we fund them and we just have food, lots of food, good food, conversation, and fellowship, and fun, right? See that, and what you're trying to do is you're trying to rebuild community and rebuilding trust in who we are as a church and what we're trying to do. Bless and do not curse. It's keep it really that simple. We're trying to bless and not curse, right? And then from that group, those groups, uh, you try to pick at least three people to disciple to come into a disciple relationship right and we're moving now towards covenantally committed relationships and so the church that we're building lord willing is going to be from this discipled group anyone can come it's not like we're going to say no you can't come because you didn't go through our program that's terrible right but on the other hand like you're trying to raise up christians not just community you're trying to uh, christians the covenant community right and so what that means then is In our model, you might not hold on to them. In fact, you're probably not gonna hold on to the majority of people. And in our model, we have to be okay with that, right? Because we have to have a, like our model requires a a kingdom mindset. And that that gets us out of this, you know, when you have to think like an entrepreneur when you're, you're a church, right? But the problem is for me, I keep falling into, I'm setting up a business, right? And I want people to exclusively come to my business to patronize my store. That's not a church, right? You see that? And then just in the churches and, that, you, you know, the, my, my old pastor that I, I grew up under, I, I will never forget this. He said, how many churches are there in Philadelphia? And he looked at them and he says, there's one
1: church in Philadelphia. Exactly. Yeah, right? You see that? Exactly. And
5: so therefore this kingdom mindset requires that you raise up Christians, that even though, you know, this basic uh, discipleship pattern program, we call them pathways, um, it's not gonna teach them to be reformed, but at the very least, wherever they end up, they will be helpful in gainful situation when they go to different churches, they are actually able to participate in the life of that church gainfully. You see that? And so on Sunday, we will teach them to be reformed because we're preaching, we've got all the Sunday school stuff we got going on, but during our uh, table groups, we're building community on route to discipleship. That's our program.
3: Joe, thank you. Uh, I was hoping you would say that. <laughs> um, I just found it to be very profound uh, when I talked to you last month uh, that those table groups, right, are building up Christians and it's not so much connected to um, them being at your church, right, but that they can go out and, um, and into or participate in whatever church it is that they find themselves. Um, and I just thought that that was beautiful. So I'm glad you said that. Um, oh, um, so I got I got one more, and then we'll open it up to uh, the tables for questions. So um, the last question is, what does this, what does disciple making training look like in your context? But I do feel like you all. Um, really hit on that through the other questions. And so what I wanted to do is ask you uh, the question uh, that we talked about last month. I'm going to slide that one in. But, um, so what, what ways in your own discipleship, right, in your own discipleship path, um, that you experienced or that you observed um, help to impact or shape the way that uh, you've established disciple making in your own churches?
1: Um,
3: so what ways were you discipled right, that you experienced or even that you observed that impacted the way that you are discipling that your church now? Okay, yeah. So
1: ironically, um, I was not discipled, you know. Um, one of the things I noticed is there was a lack of, of that in the church where I grew up. A lot of a lot of my learning was on my own. You know, I was hungry to know the truth. I was hungry to, to grow in the knowledge of God. And so I kind of motivated myself to, to pursue the knowledge of God. And so with that in mind, how that has influenced me is I don't want the people that I'm responsible for to have to go through that. I don't want them to be hungry to grow closer to God and be hung, uh, hungry for the truth and yet not know where to start. And so, what it what it motivate, motivates me to do is to be intentional about creating opportunities and avenues for people to learn and grow. And so, um, that's um, that's what motivates in the Bible study that we do. Um, some of the personal things I do, I go through books personally with people. I'm always providing material for people to read. I don't want them to have to search where do I find this, where do I find that. I want them. Uh, especially with all of the resources that are available now, there's just really no excuse. And so I'm always trying to resource our people, always um, showing them how to get access to the truth, always trying to provide the truth, uh, because I don't, want, uh, I don't want people to fall into that idea that, um, well, I have to do this all on my own, I have to figure this out on my own. And so really it was the lack of discipleship in the church that led me to be proactive about and be intentional about discipling our people. While
4: uh, Brian was discipled, discipled by God himself. <laughs> 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 and, man, that sounds great. Uh, for uh, me, I grew up in a at the church so um our uh, discipleship was a five-hour service on sunday um, and so 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 basically i didn't have it until i was about 23 years old and uh and there was this pastor named jonathan scott who who uh wife has uh, multiple sclerosis and she was like at the last stages of she was, and, and, and she has went home now. But, uh, uh, but he was. So, so we would sit down weekly, and and we would walk through the Bible, right? And it was the most life changing thing uh, because because he like explained the gospel, and it's like purity. Um, and, and, like, and so basically, what I didn't have, I then had, he sat with me and he was intentional, like one on one with me. Like, And it wasn't efficient. It was uh, also a share with me your things. It was, it was very vulnerable. And I say that vulnerability for us is, is being your, your uh, non processing, unpolished self in real time. And that's what he asked from me every time uh, we met. But he also did the same. He shared about his struggles with his wife and what that means for marriage, and and his wife she couldn't speak, like all the things, and so. But then I saw how he loved him, and like how I only saw, and and the only uh, we could meet on Thursdays only because he was a pastor of of. Of a three thousand member church, but stayed home Monday through Wednesday, and was a caretaker to his wife. And for me, that is what changed. That is what I, I saw in her Discipleship Heart that I wanted to bring it to you. City is 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 that we are vulnerable, like with our lives. And uh, and and what I saw him do spoke more volumes than all the knowledge that he, he told me. That knowledge was actually uh that knowledge uh, was actually um his worth of it was multiplying by a thousand because I saw what he was doing. And so uh that is what motivates me uh so 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 we do a discipleship. Cohort, like I said, and we can only take up to eight people, and it is uh, it's uh, twelve weeks long, weekly, and it's intense, and it's just intense. And so we take them, raise them up, um, and then uh, and then they go and make uh, disciples. Of them. And so that's what we teach in that cohort. Oh, Joe. <laughs> Joe got a
5: word for not I don't know. Vincent Baker, Sandy Wilson, and, and uh, Ed Stetzer have you fired up. I, wasn't that fantastic? I was just so, oh, we have a job to do, and we need to get going. We need to get started on this. Um, me, so here, here's my experience. I grew up in a violently abusive my father had massive insecurity and anger problems, and uh, it, it's really—and these are things I'm still dealing with today as a forty-seven-year-old Asian male, right? And um. So, when I got saved, I got saved into a PCA church that was charismatic. Koreans get away with everything.
1: So, <laughs> we <laughs> <laughs> were speaking in tongues
5: and talking in the spirit. What's going on? Anyway, um, so Ron Meyer was, is, is my SA clerk. In the, uh, we're, we're, we don't do that, Ron, I promise you. But um, hey, here's the thing. Um, <clears throat> I I got discipled by various men in the church who noticed that a lot, thankfully noticed that a lot of my insecurities, my need for safety, my need to not be afraid of the world that adults have built, uh, because I was fatherless in a sense, and they stepped up. That was my experience of discipleship. Now, here's the bad part that my church, unfortunately, like uh, with a lot of churches in our particular network at that time, no offense to the PCA, that's, it's not a PCA problem per se, but uh, the first time I heard Tim Keller preach, I'm like, how come I never heard this before, yeah. right? I think a lot of us up that way. It's like, like, how come that I'm hearing the gospel in a way that I understand that never made sense to me before? And then to be able to recognize, uh, reconcile, like. Uh, how my church upbringing, right, with this theology that that I'm like, wow, uh, where did this come from? I'm reformed in many ways because of Tim Keller. And it put inside me a hunger for the gospel. To, To this day, I still say all that wonderful stuff about like different kinds of theology that's out there. It's a lot of fun to study, biblical studies. I love that stuff. But the gospel is still the most beautiful thing I have ever heard of in my entire life. Amen. And that's what people need today. And so I was thinking, how can we bring those two things together that I think men who are just trying to be faithful, they saw a need inside of me and they walked beside me through it. And here's the gospel that we've learned. And how can we help people become uh, uh, Christians who are committed to one another, who bless and do not curse, at least that's what we're trying to do, in a way that does glorify God, making an argument for why Jesus should be king and not all these other things in their lives, right? That, to me, is discipleship. And that's where all this stuff came from. This is the program I came up with, we came up with. I was talking with various people. There are different ways to do it. I'm hoping that some of it will be helpful to you. If it's not, that's great. I'd love to hear different ideas, and we'll keep trying to come up with different ideas until, what's what's that in Revelation? Uh, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus yeah. is Lord. And that's going to take all of us to do it one person at a time. Amen? Amen. Yeah,
1: I'm a preacher, sorry. <laughs> preach
3: so that was all of the questions. I know that we have questions from the tables. Uh, so...
6: Yeah, to follow up with that one, I think that um, one of the things I really appreciate, everything you guys share, everyone in this room can gravitate to, right, for Discipleship 18 and what you guys are doing to establish what we're supposed to do in Discipleship 18. One of the things that's special about your the panel right here, though, is we have a asked call. So would you share, especially, I know from my context, also Asian American, uh, parents that are immigrants from Taiwan, growing up here in the United States, being born here in the United States, wrestling with my cultural identity. Being a servant of God and knowing that these are things that unite us in this room, but there's things that I have had to work on because I feel like there are things that are embraced here, but I have to decode, especially with who I am in my upbringing. So I know my big mantra is I've been humbled by God, but I'm proud of who I am. Because of my upbringing, I'm no longer ashamed that I'm Asian American, right? Wanting to fit into a majority setting in the ABC. So can you guys speak a little bit to your cultural identity, not that that defines you, right? Because what defines us as Christians, we're all in this room. But how has God used that portion of you to really bring about what you want to talk to a room full of people that want to go on this journey together? Because we want to embrace, right, in EPC, multi-ethnic, where are we going in that? And how can you guys point us to what you guys are doing?
5: I remember uh, there was an African-American pastor who came to our Korean church. Everyone was Korean, right? And Koreans, we all like to sit together in the library, usually at college, right? Um and, you know, churches are like that, too. Just we're all Korean and things like that, right? We only go to retreats with other Koreans. Um, and the pastor came in and he says, okay, y'all listen to me. That's, that's what I'm saying, right? There ain't going to be no Korean heaven.
1: <laughs> so so, I, you
5: know, I, yeah, I mean, we have to learn that that like our context, whatever your context is, is not the only context, right? Um, there was a book by Yaroslav Pelikan, who was a famous church historian, and in his treatment of Acts 15, he said this: Acts 15 establishes that you don't need to be Jewish on route to becoming Christian, right? So if you convert. You don't have to become a Jewish person, or Jew, right, see that? And so in our context, we're becoming, we are citizens of the kingdom, but you do not have to give up your ethnicity, the good things that God put here on purpose. So another pastor pointed out that in Revelation, notice it says every tongue, right? That means there'll be languages, right? Different languages, different ethnicities, different cultures, different ways of doing things. And so therefore, you don't need to give up your cultural experience in order to become a Christian and a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And that's one of the things we can explore, right? See that? Um, So that we're not, we don't need to be monolithic. In fact, that's bad. Uh, Diversity is our strength, why? Because in the, let's not go to the the Trinity, in unity, the unity that God (laughs) describes in the Bible is a diverse unity, it's a collective unity. Here, ye, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, That oneness is collective
4: and it really is diverse. Joe, Joe, Joe. (laughs) no, no, that's good, man. Uh, And so, and I can speak uh, uh, to that. So like I said, I raised Pentecostal, so I was like, all all black church, right? And we were rolling around on the floor in tongues, drooling, and stuff. Me too. Um, Yeah, yeah, me too. (laughs) Um, and I was doing it out of shame, like because uh, I just did something the day before probably. But but um but I think for for me, um so our first Sunday was the, uh, January the twenty eighth. So we actually launched online. And so that was great. But then the next Sunday we like launched in person. And I stood up and I looked over the room and it was diverse. I was like, this is amazing. Right? Uh, but, but, like, it also uh, inherently, I I felt like I had to, like, teach. Right? And so, for those of you who are doctors and, seminary, and y- uh, y'all know that there are like different types of what of, of preaching, right? There are like different types. So I thought I just had just like i I just have to teach because that's all I've seen really in the EPC, which is like stand up there and teach, right? But there's like like a prophetic, right? There's a there's a there's like different types. And so so what I like learn about myself in this journey just in this short while is that I don't have to just teach. Mm-hmm. Is that my gift um, is is I have more gifts than that that I need uh, just to operate in. That was actually um, highlighted by my culture. A uh, 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 black uh, uh, people are like uh, they have the we have the gift of influence. There's this really big joke, hilarious joke. I I I heard. It says just to get something popular, right? So you get the black, uh, uh people, uh, just to do that thing, right? And then once it becomes popular, and you get them to stop, <laughs> and then it becomes valuable, right? And so, and so, that, and I mean, that's that's like a mean joke, but it's like, man, that's, I mean, that is how we, are. And so, and so, so we have certain charismatic gifts, right? And, and that what i thought that i had to like not do that that i had to look like something else but i have learned and i'm learning that i don't so my message like the the, the uh preparation for my messages are like different now mm-hmm. And my messages are like different you now than I, 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 started, and so, um, and so that is what I've learned about myself about keeping my culture. And then I think on on like Easter, I brought uh, my mom in. At the end of Easter service, I, I called an audible. I said, mama, and and I want you to pray for us," and she said, "Okay." she said Are you sure Have you see
1: this, this room
4: right Have you see how many and i was like no like you and my mom was a praying woman and she stood up there and she took my hand she put one hand behind her back and she went
2: <laughs> and she
4: prayed prayed and what at the end of that a lot of people was like Oh my gosh, that was incredible. We want more. And I'm like, you do? <laughs> really? And what they were saying is like, we want more of like, we you don't have to, especially the white people in our army, you don't have to serve us. We came here because we want to experience heaven, yeah. the kingdom in this entirety, different cultures, different tongues. This is what we want. This is what we desire. And here I am. And I'm like, man, I need to speak your language. They're like, no, we want to hear yours. And so uh, that is that helped me embrace all of this.
1: Yeah, my experience has been um, you know, coming into Presbyterianism, a predominantly white denomination. Um, the challenge for me was, was twice as difficult because not only am I black, but um, I come from the ghetto, uh, not far from here. Um, east side of Detroit, I can take you to my old neighborhood. Um, so, um, I grew up selling crack. I never made it past the ninth grade. Um, a lot of brokenness in my background. And so when I first embraced reform theology and started going to a white church in the suburbs, Then I began to realize how how much broken English I spoke and how I didn't know good English, and I began to, I was just so self-conscious of how different I was. Um, But what I've learned is, first of all, I've learned that my identity ultimately is not in my background, it's not in my race, but it's in Christ, so I, I, I've learned to look ultimately that I am a new creature in Christ. My identity is Christ. But then I've learned to realize that because my identity is in Christ, I don't have to be ashamed about where I'm from. I I can see the beauty and glory of God in where I come from. And so when I look at my community where I was born and raised, yeah, there's a lot of brokenness there, but there's a lot of beauty there too. There's a lot of good stuff there. And the the thing that is so exciting about being a church planter is I get the privilege of going back to the community that I love so much. With all of its brokenness, with all of its ugliness, I get to go back as an ambassador of Christ and as a missionary and bring transformation to this community that I love so much. And so for me, my cultural experience is, is learning how Christ has redeemed me as a Inner-city black guy from the from the ghetto, and seeing how if he can if he can transform me and renew me in him, and then give me the privilege of being an agent of bringing that renewal and transformation back to my community as well. Uh, that that makes this an un, un, an exciting journey. That you can pay me enough money to make me quit this because it's just. Um, there's nothing like this. Um, being able to see Christ redeeming culture, redeeming um, uh, our ethnic groups, and and seeing the beauty that God has put in every distinct cultural group, but seeing that being transformed and renewed by the gospel and brought into a one uh, a one covenant family in the kingdom of God. I mean, what a story we have! Amen. Amen. That's
3: good. Amen. That's good. Amen. Yeah. All right. So one sixteen. Marcos, Okay. <laughs> um, are there any? That, that was a great question. Wow.
1: Oh, okay.
6: Joe, you kind of listed I think it was kind of your four steps of discipleship when you want to work people through. I missed one. Um, so could you go through those again and then could you maybe kind of inf, like open up how you work people through that? Are you talking about the like, four or five things? Yeah, said so, like praying in that situation, share the gospel, yeah, okay. So the way that I learned it, they're called
5: pathways. I, I don't know why where that came from, but that's what people are calling it pathways. And you want to keep the number <clears throat> low and they're interchangeable. So you should like, you know, gauge what your people need and switch out anyone like at any given time. And you can do multiple those so they get discipled for, I don't know, six months, just pick a number. And then they can go through it again, just teach them something different, right? But so for us, the opening stages, let's say your first time disciple, uh, the, the idea is we want to teach them basic, not basic is the wrong word, foundational Christianity, right? So when is when is prayer ever gonna be unnecessary or basic, right? See that? So But prayer, it's like, um, do you know how to pray when you're in trouble? Or do you know how to pray when things are going fantastic, right? And we pray with them. Right, so you learn by doing. So you don't want to give them a lecture, right? The lecture is quote unquote, if we want to use that language, that's all on Sunday. So it's really important to be practice-oriented, not lecture-oriented. I can give a whole sermon of theology on what prayer does, how it creates covenantal bonds, where something exists, you know, we can do that. But that's not, that's not what people need at the discipleship level, at least in the groups, right? From the pulpit, it's different. Right. So what happens then is prayer, hospitality, how to share the gospel. Um, uh, another one would be uh, how to read your Bible. Right? So here, so we break down Bible reading into three things. So you never given me a passage, keep it really simple, right? A B C. A, what does it say? What does the passage actually say? B, what does it mean subjectively to you? That sounds very devotional, right? You're just getting started c how does this passage point to christ c is always the hardest to learn at least it was for me right because you know can you effectively every single time figure out how does this passage point to christ you have to have an understanding of of the unfolding you know history of redemption but what happens is eventually you want to see your people switch b and c so it's what does it say how does it point to christ what does that mean for me? You see that? But don't start there because that's 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 a really difficult. Just get them to be comfortable with opening up the Bible and understanding how important that is. And from there it's like there are so many different places you can go. It, hopefully that answered your
4: question. Yeah, it was awesome. Thank you. Thank you.
5: But we all need funding. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, these are church planters. Yeah, they need money. So, congratulations by signing up for today's lunch. You just committed to funding these three projects. Oh, praise God. That's great. Um, so, just a couple housekeeping things, and then I'm going to invite need up to close us in prayer. Uh, first, would you thank Joy and the panel for. for The idea, again, is to create a, a fellowship space for people of color within the denomination. And so um, many of the people of color in our churches aren't able to be here at General Assembly. Some of them are ruling elders, some of them are deacons, some of them are members in the church. Um, the the Theantiochroom.com is going to be the online space we're gathering people. Please invite people to go to that website. You can even do it right now if you want. Thank you, she's the one who built it, www.theantiochroom.com, you can register there, and what we'd like to do is start building some virtual spaces throughout the year, so that we can build the fellowship of people of color within our denomination, and so, people in your churches, people in your sessions, Uh, pastors who couldn't be here please let them know that this resource is for them because we really want to build this community within the EPC for support and for encouragement and for discipleship among one another Um, and then every year we'll do this and invite everybody to come join us and we can learn like we did today from all of our brothers and sisters in the church and so um, www.theantiochroom.com And I am going to now invite up Enid to come and pray for us. Um, She's probably going to pray in both English and Spanish. That's what tends to happen. So (laughs) here you go. Thank you, Enid.
2: Thank you. Well, I mean, we're talking about different languages. So if I don't do it in mine, (laughs) we will not be in the Antioch room. But uh, I just say sometimes when the spirit is moving, you might not know my words but I don't know the spirit does something that you understand so I'll, I will I will do in both and I'm so grateful for you guys for being here um, and for all of you to just come and listen and, and listen to all of us uh, I've been a Presbyterian my whole life and I come from a Presbyterian family so, but I've been Puerto Rican my whole life and I come from a Presbyterian family in Puerto Rico. So, it, it's not that different in the sense of my bringing, but coming here, it is another story. So, I'm glad that you have give us um, this space for all of us just to... Share who we are. So let us pray. Gracias, Padre celestial, por tu amor, por tu bendición, por la oportunidad que tú nos das de estar frente a ti como somos, quienes somos. Gracias porque tú nos das el coraje, la fuerza y el amor para continuar adelante. Thanking Lord because you have given us the opportunity just to be here, like how we are just being humble open and transparent thank you lord for your love and now i'm asking you to give us the courage the fire and the love to commit to bless and not to curse others in the name of jesus we pray amen, amen. amen. amen.